to be alive right about now when you have found your hallelujah. But very quickly, very quickly, uh, that can change when you and I perceive that we've been wronged or we perceive that we've experienced some kind of injustice. All of a sudden, that good, good, good to be alive right now seems to evaporate. It's like coming up to speak and finding a pink flamingo wrapped around your water bottle. That is being wronged. I'll deal with that later. But anyway, whatever that may be, uh, experiencing an injustice or being wrong, uh, it, just, it, just, it just sucks the life out of us. And uh, sometimes that's someone that's close. Uh, sometimes we see it from afar. Sometimes it's something that affects our lives. Or sometimes we see the injustice being experienced by, by somebody else. And when that happens, it just seems to dry up uh, our joy, our hallelujah, it's good to be alive. And uh, this being Father's Day, I thought I would share with you a little experience of an injustice that uh, I had or experienced at the hands of William Herbert Spencer, this is him back in the day and me back in the day. And uh, little, this is the only time this happened. And Dad, if you're listening online, I, I'm not sorry. Payback is sweet, you know, 20-some years later. But anyway, no, it's more like uh, 40 years later. But anyway, uh, but uh, one time, um, I, uh, I grew up in a home that wasn't afraid to discipline. That doesn't mean that I was abused. It just means that they weren't afraid. And uh, I was one of those kids... Uh, says more about me than my parents. I got, I got spanked, swatted probably before breakfast, after breakfast, before lunch, after lunch, <laughs> mid-afternoon, you know, before I went to bed, just because I was into everything. And uh, there was this one time, believe it or not, and you may have heard me refer to this in a different venue, but there was this one time where my dad actually spanked me, and I hadn't done anything wrong. Only one time, and, and I thought, I thought, I actually thought this is kind of wonderful because I am going to, going to just milk this for everything I can get. And so, and so as the thing unfolded, I can't remember what had happened, and I got blamed for it. And my dad, uh, you know, I, I said, Dad, you know, I, I didn't do this. He goes, yeah, I, I get that you didn't do that, and I'm thinking big apology, I'm thinking ice cream at Dairy Queen, I'm thinking, you know, all these kinds of things. And my dad said, let me just ask you one question. Okay, what is that? He says, did you do anything this week that deserved a spanking and I didn't spank you for? And, and without thinking, I realized 
I was still ahead of the game, even though I had gotten spanked for doing something I hadn't. And, and my dad, it didn't bother my dad one bit. He just went along. So anyway, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, Solomon's uh, personal journal and God-inspired uh, Ezekiel. And as we're walking through that, we're finding out what it means to live with that hallelujah under the sun with the risen sun. We just sang about that. We sang about Christ coming and rising again and making it possible that you and I can have a relationship with God. And there are some things that, in a sense, can take away those hallelujah moments if we're not careful. And Solomon starts to identify some of those things that just sit deep within his soul and break his heart, and he has a hard time reconciling, reconciling the two. And again, we're in this series, and Eric already mentioned you can catch up uh, and listen to, to some of the ones in the past, past series, but this one in particular. And, and Solomon addresses this. Uh, one week we saw that the idea of grief, sometimes grief can just just our hallelujah and how do we deal with that and Solomon talks about that I think we dealt with that maybe three or four weeks ago and then two weeks ago before Gordon and Gail were here uh, we talked about authorities in our life government those kinds of things someone who's in charge of us and how that those relationships or lack of relationships whatever you want to call it can sometimes get into our life and just in a sense suck us dry well, well this morning we're going to be looking at injustice we're going to be looking at feeling wrong, and there's a whole uh, spectrum of that. Again, as we've already mentioned, there's, there's the little injustices, there's the little uh, being wrong, there's the you know, getting cut in line, very minor thing, all the way to the, to the just huge off-the-charts ones. And there's ones we experience, and then there's ones that we view in somebody else's life, maybe around the world, or someone in our, our community, and it just, it, just, it, just, it just takes all the joy. Uh, like this week was, was another one of those, you know, uh, getting, getting in trouble when I hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, that, that was one thing. But this injustice was unbelievable. The fact that the Bruins did not win the Stanley Cup. I, I just don't understand how that happened. Uh, I read some articles, and the article said, you know, it, it, it surprised them. They shouldn't have won. And you just kind of got to live with some of these injustices, some of these being wrong. But then again, I have to do this. You know, there is the other side of it, and you, I can sleep at night because of these two situations. But anyway, and you might think there's the injustice. But whatever it is, we have to identify and see that being wrong or experiencing injustice doesn't have to suck all the joy out of our life. It doesn't mean it doesn't touch us. It doesn't mean that we don't feel it. But it doesn't have to suck all the joy out of our life and jade us for the rest of our life. We can navigate through that. And Solomon, again, is identifying that. And in the middle of this passage where he's talking about injustice, he's talking about evil, he's talking, we might call it sin, whatever you want to call it, that, that force that's out there, and just as it gets uh, demonstrated in the outer world, and then sometimes we see it demonstrated in our own lives, we realize that it's just not out there. It can be in here. He says in the middle of this passage, he, he gives us, in a sense, some, some good news how to navigate this. And he says this in verse 15 of the voice translation. He says, And so I heartily recommend that you pursue joy, for the best a person can do under the sun is to enjoy life 
each day, or eat, drink, and be happy. If this is your attitude, joy will carry you through your toil, uh, the idea of your duties, your, your heavy lifting in life, your, your responsibilities every day that God gives you under the sun. So here Solomon is saying there's injustice, there's being wronged, it just isn't fair. He's saying all these things, and he's saying in the middle of that, in the middle of that, if you learn how to take moment by moment, you can find that you have a joy, not based on just happy thoughts, but based on living under the sun in this chapter of life, our time on planet Earth. Under the sun, we can have a joy under the sun because of the living, uh, or because of the risen sun and the way he can transform our lives from the inside and out. But again, we see this, it just isn't fair on one side, all the way to huge, grotesque, terrible uh, injustices. And sometimes uh, those of us who are Christ followers, uh, those of us who are kicking the tires of faith, just, just in a sense almost can't get past this. Some of you, some of you are saying this whole God thing, I can't be connected in relationship in a deep way with a God who allows these kinds of things to happen in the greater world and allows these kinds of things to happen in my world. And, and some of us have, have uh, written God off because of that. And Solomon is in that place as he's asking those questions that sometimes we dare not ask. Yet God wants us to ask those questions. His shoulders are broad enough to, to handle those questions. It can't be the little secret in the corner that, oh yeah, everything's rosy, but I'm not going to deal with that. But Solomon looks at it right in the eyes as he's thinking about this idea of unfair injustice and just seeing how it unfolds. And, and a lot of us have experienced this where someone is aligned with God's rhythm of life trying to live out God's preferred life. And we find that uh, it's meaningless when misalignment, going the other extreme with God's rhythms of life, seem to give you everything you want. You've all seen that. You've seen the guy at work who doesn't have integrity, who's dishonest, who sticks the knife in your back and twists it a few times. And all of a sudden, that person seems to be rewarded for their life. And they get the promotion. They get the increase. And you find yourself, I did things right. And yet, here I am, not going forward. Some of our relationships, we felt that. Uh, we, we, we're not perfect, we'd say, by any means. But uh, we're in life, and we're living life. And in our relationships, we're trying to do things right. And all of a sudden... Um, our relationship blows up, and then there's this other relationship where there's all kinds of craziness going on, and, and they seem to have it great. And it's, it's how do we connect that? Injustice, being wrong. How do we, how do we work that? The, the idea of evil, the idea of sin, how, how do we digest that? Because all of us, if we're going to have a philosophy for life, no matter where we are, unconvinced or convinced when it comes to faith, we have to deal with this idea of evil. 
sin, wicked behavior, whatever you want to call it, because it's all around us. Just in the last week, we celebrated D-Day. D-Day was all about trying to stop evil in Europe. And we saw all these imageries, and we forgot all this stuff. Some of us go, wow, we didn't realize that 80% of those guys that stormed the beach were guaranteed not to make it in the first wave. Because stopping evil in the world was such an important thing to do. So we see it around. We see this going on in this country, this place, that place. And then we see flavors of it, ripples of it in our own backyard. So I'd like you to go to Ecclesiastes 10, or Ecclesiastes 8, verse 10. You'll find that uh, in that rack Bible, or you can look online. Uh, if you've got version, that's a great tool. The verses will also be up on the screen. If you don't have your own copy of uh, a Bible, a paper Bible, and you want to take that one you find there in the rack, please feel free to do that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also suggest, if you have an electronic device, that sometime you download uh, version. And uh, you'll have that right at your fingertips, wherever your phone or electronic device is. So we're going to see four basic principles of dealing with injustice, of talking about injustice, about being wronged, whatever you want to call it. And the first one is this. Discipline, misbehavior, discipline, misbehavior to slow its growth. Solomon starts to get into this idea that you need to identify uh, misbehavior. We call misbehavior. You need to identify evil. You need to identify sin, not in a judgmental way, but you need to see it and you need to, to, to call it what it is and you need to discipline it to slow its growth. Beginning in verse uh, 10, we read, Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go to the holy place, they were regular church attenders. They were going all the time, but they were, they were wicked. They were, they were bent in that direction, and they just dripped from their pores and received praise in the city where they did this, where they acted out. And then he says, uh, they too were, this too is meaningless. It, it, just, it, just, it just sits in his heart. How can someone who's like that, no integrity, plays the church game, and everybody knows it. And then when they pass, they get a celebration of life like they lived a sweet life, and they really didn't. And Solomon says, this is meaningless. Uh, if I try to weigh my or lean my life onto what I see, it just doesn't hold me up. It causes me to fall flat on my face. And all of us from time to time have had those times where we've seen something like this play out. I mentioned earlier the person with no integrity gets the promotion at work. Uh, the guy in high school who, who's just unkind gets the girl, vice versa. Whatever it may be. And, and, and it doesn't seem to stick to them. And you're trying to do the right thing. Again, you'd be first to admit that you're not perfect, but at least you're trying to travel in that direction. And it just blows your mind. And you try to lean your life on it. And Solomon's watching this. He's older now. You remember, he's probably in his late 70s, early 80s, and he's seen this happen time and time again. He has a front row seat. 
And it just rocks him in his soul. Because he has his hallelujah, or he's had, he's danced in and out of it. Past messages talk about that. But he, he's, and, and it is just, it just steals the joy from him if he's not very careful. Then in verse uh, 11, we read, When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. So Solomon's saying is we need to discipline bad behavior. We need to address it. We need to call it out. Because when we don't, it just allows more of it and more of it and more of it. And that doesn't mean we become somebody who's running around pointing everyone's faults out, but it means as a culture, we shouldn't lift that up. It means as an individual, we shouldn't lift that up. We need to deal with it. I, I remember seeing this first time as a, as a camp counselor. I couldn't believe this. Uh, parents actually left their kids with me at 19. Like I had these kids, and I was supposed to take care of them. And, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to navigate this. And, and I remember on that, they would come on a Saturday night. Those were in the good old days where they were for, there for like a week. And they would come on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon night, and uh, they arrive. And the first night, they're in, they're in my cabin, and uh, I, I lay the law down. I don't know where this came from, but I, lay, I say, you know, this is either going to be the greatest week of your life or the worst week of your life. They don't pay me enough to do this. So when I tell you to do something, you need to do it the first time. I'm not playing this game. Not playing this game. And so they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the first night was the test. And the first night was when it's time for lights out, it's to be quiet. Oh, yeah, right, right. So, so now I'm putting this, what do I do with this? If I let them walk all over me the first night, that's my week. So what I did, and you can't do this today. There's no abuse. I'm, the next morning, and I told them I would do this. I said, if you guys, I, I do not go to sleep and knock it off. I will have you up at 5 in the morning running laps at the soccer field. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Sure enough, 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, we go to the soccer field, run a couple laps. The rest of the week, angels. Rest of the week, I got lighter and lighter and, and could lighten up. But if I didn't start tight, I couldn't regain it later on. If I lost the control of the plane, we were going down. I, I had a, and, and so I, I learned this, that, you know, again, th those boundaries are important. It, you know, it happens in your life, too. I've mentioned this before. You know, you're zipping by a policeman, and you're going way too fast. You're like, oh, 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 you know, you're going to have a, am I going to get pulled over? And you slow right down, and he doesn't come out after you. All right, you're just gone because you didn't get caught. I remember uh, they had just changed that law about getting over to the other lane, and I don't know what I was doing. I, I wasn't paying attention, and I wasn't on the other lane, and that guy came right out after me, gave me my $280 ticket, you know, $100 ticket, $180 surcharge fee. I don't know what that was. I looked it up online. I could not figure out what that was, but I knew I was paying $280. Believe it or not, I see every little thing on the edge now. I'm always over. See? Behavior disciplined changes actions. I know this is hard for you to believe, but I can remember those times where I would stay up, I would wait to the last minute to do a paper in college, 
high school. And if I pulled it off the next day, I kept doing it. The time I didn't pull it off and I ran out of typewriter ink and there was no 24-hour open store, I never did that again. You see, we got to identify those things. Personally, those boundaries help us keep in the line, lines. When those boundaries are gone, even when it's a near miss, we usually, most of us, have the nature that we keep going in that direction. Also, we see this idea of fill, fear God because his word is final. And this idea about fearing God is one of these confusing concepts because in our English language, that word fear has such a limited uh, meaning. When, when Old Testament people write about fearing God, it's so much broader. You see, fear implies submission. It implies be awe. It implies worship. And worship is a fancy word that says that you just are so uh, in awe with God that you value him. He's worth something to you. So because he's worth so much to you, it affects the way you behave. You're, you're, he's worth it. And so you worship him. So what we do here on Sunday when we sing, that's a part of worship, but that's the tip of the iceberg. Where you're really worshiping God, where I'm really worshiping God, is when I have the moment to do what I would like to do or think I want to do, and I go, no, 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 no. God wants God's preferred will as I take this course of action, so I do it his way, I'm in relationship with him. His spirit is leading me to do it this way. I say yes to him. I'm showing he has worth in my life, and I'm worshiping. Also, trust, leaning on him, agreeing with what he says. And the real way we show we trust him is when we put the weight of our life into what he's saying, leading us to do. Sometimes we doubt him. No, 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 no. If I do this, then that's going to be worse for me, even though it's very clear that his preferred will is a certain course of action, and we don't trust. But when we fear God, these, all these elements are, are in play in reverence, respect. When I was a kid, I was afraid of my dad. I didn't want to get spanked. I didn't want to get punished. It's interesting, as I got older, the punishments changed because he knew what got my attention. It was a time when I was 16 and got grounded. I said, Dad, please spank me. I don't want to be grounded for two weeks. You can spank me for an hour. I just don't want to be grounded for two weeks. He said, no, you're grounded for two weeks. But see, it changed. It was a time where I was afraid of Dad. And then all of a sudden, it became a respect for Dad. So today, I want to please my father, not because I'm afraid of getting spanked. I just want to please my father because I'm in awe of him. I love him. I want to please him. So, so that has that kind of backside of this concept of fearing God because his word is final. Verse 12 says this, even though a sinner does sinful things a hundred times and lives a full life, still I'm confident Certain it will go better for those who worship, fear, the one true God and stand in awe before him and let others know they live in awe before him. 
Solomon says, you know, you may not see it in the moment, you may not feel it, but he's confident it goes better for the person that functions according to God's preferred will than the person that doesn't and seems to get away with it. There's a time coming where that will be figured out. They're not really dodging the bullet. They're not really getting away with murder, if you will. It's going to catch up with them. And he doesn't say that in a delight. It's not like, ha, 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 it's going to catch up with you. You're going to get slammed for doing that. He's not saying that. He's saying it's a warning. Just because you're able to get away with it. Don't live in a false sense of security. You will have to answer for your actions. So live in awe before God and live in such a way that others actually see it. So others see it, that you actually live in awe. Again, that person that uh, goes through the motions of doing the God stuff and doesn't really stand in awe of God, doesn't have this fear of God, this love of God, this trust of God. Those around you, those around me, see it and know it. And it kind of directs them in a certain way. It's not that they're not responsible for their actions, but you're feeding the fire that's causing them to say no to God, or God's a joke, or this faith thing is just crazy because of our actions. So do we stand in awe before God as we're living our life? And do others actually see it? Verse 13, yet because the wicked, and that may seem a strong, strong word, but the person not on God's path, the person that's just, just saying no to him, because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Again, accountability. There is accountability. And that, that is meant to scare us a little bit. It is meant to get our attention a little bit. We just can't read a verse and go, ooh, it doesn't matter, because it does matter. And Solomon is trying to deal with that whole issue as he thinks about the, aha, the hallelujah life thing, just loving life. And he's saying, this inconsistency bothers me. And he's saying, saying but, but, but realize that your consistency will pay off in the end. And their inconsistency or their inconsistency or consistency in saying no to God will, will have an effect sometime. Verse 7, familiar passage out of Proverbs. Solomon wrote this. Uh, different translation says, How then does a person gain the essence of wisdom? We cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion. I don't like that obedient devotion part on one hand, and I do like it on another hand. Because sometimes I can be obedient, but I don't like it. But what Solomon's saying is you get to the point where you follow God, not just because you have to, not because you're, you're just scared of when you'll be called to reckon for your life, but because you're actually in love with God. So you're obedient out of devotion, not obedient because you think someday you're going to get in big trouble. Um, think of someone that's a subordinate to you, and maybe it's a child, and they do what you say 
they, you want them to do, and you're happy they're obedient. But you do hope that they're obedient out of devotion and love to you, not just because they know you can yank their chain at a moment's notice. You're obedient, they're obedient to you out of devotion, out of love. I, I, talking with counselors over the years, and sometimes there's these scenarios where it's just not going well with family or with kids, and uh, talking with them, they say it's a good thing, even when you have a teenager that's kind of like gone off the rails, if they still want to please their parents. And sometimes you have kids that have gone off the rail, they don't, they don't, they're not making good decisions, they're in a bad season of life, and, but, but they still want to please their parents. Those situations usually can come back together. But if they give given up on trying to please their parents for various reasons, you're in bigger trouble. So that obedient devotion is, is crucial. Stubborn know-it-alls will never stop to do this, for they scorn true wisdom and knowledge. Another thought here is that enjoy what God gives despite what you think you see. So you've got all these things going in motion all around you. And you say, hey, that guy is getting away with it. That person is doing everything right, and, and it seems like everything hits them. You jump to conclusions. I like to use this little expression at Christmas. Just because God seems to be silent doesn't mean he is still. Silence doesn't mean he's still. But from our perspective, it seems like he doesn't care. From our perspective, it seems like he's, he, it's, it's just a farce. Why try so hard? Why live this way when it doesn't seem to have any tangible, in the moment, even in five years, benefits? It's not paying off. And then somebody who's just blowing God off seems to have the ideal life. I want their life. And they don't have a time, a thought. They, they, some of them even shake their fist at God. Yet they've got it made. What do you do with that? You know, it's very dangerous when you and I jump to conclusions. Especially with God, but even those around us. This week in my private devotional quiet reading time, I was reading and thinking about these concepts, and I, I asked the Lord, help me not to jump to conclusions. Help me not check my brain at the door. Help me to have wisdom and insight, but don't have me jump to conclusions either. And it's a fine dance. Sometimes your intuition is absolutely right. Sometimes it's absolutely wrong. How do you know? How do you know? You, you walk with God, and hopefully he leads you and gives you impressions so that, again, you're not jumping to conclusions. And uh, this is because it's Dad's Day, and, and I'm a dad, so I'll, I'll show you this example of jumping to conclusions. Hello. How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Uh, did you hear me? You're getting robbed.
That killed him. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't. Especially with God. Especially with those around you. Don't jump to conclusions. All right, I got one more. It's a little crazy. It's Dad's Day. Can you handle it? All right, you ready? This one's a little gross, but uh, it's, it's a pretty sweet one. <laughs> Look at the cute dog. <laughs> sorry. No, no, I'm not sorry. Anyway, okay. Seeing through God's eyes, realizing that we miss it and being okay with that. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, is meaningless. And at first we think that's the way things are unfolding, but that's not the way things are unfolding. We just don't see the full picture. And this comes into where, how we navigate this, how we navigate the injustice, how we navigate when it's not fair. Uh, again, it's not that we don't step into that. It's not that we don't stand up for that. Again, we just celebrated D-Day, and there's all kinds of expressions where we have to stand up to wrong, stand up to evil, stand up and be have integrity in our lives. But we can't let the fact that that injustice takes place and we don't really see what's going on cause us to get off track, to totally blindside us, to totally distract us. Verse 15, so I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. I don't know what you're doing today for Father's Day. Sometimes the idea of fathers is very hurtful to some of us. Some of us, it's a delight. I don't know where you're at. But if you're in a situation where you're having a nice little Father's Day, whatever, and there's all kinds of craziness going on in the world, just enjoy that half an hour. Just enjoy that 45 minutes. Don't let all the injustice in the world, in your world, destroy these little oasis moments that come into life. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all their days of their life. God has given them under the sun. And so when we think about that and we think about going in that direction, Jesus says this. Jesus says, steep your life in God reality. Uh, steep. Tea. I'm the kind of guy that I don't drink a lot of tea. I'm a coffee guy, as you know, but every once in a while, tea. And I like my tea with the tea bag in there for like five days, you know, so it almost becomes one with the water. And Cindy just likes, I mean, Cindy's like, I'm like, what was that? You know, do no, she's a little bit more than that, but uh, but steep, steep, get all the flavor out of your life by having a God reality, seeing what he's doing and understand you don't see all that he's doing. 
God-initiative, God-driven, God-inspired. Understanding that God does provide. He'll take care. Don't, don't miss, don't worry about missing out. Sometimes, especially as we're moving into adulthood and getting established, we're worried about missing out. And we see other people doing certain things, and we go, wow, they're having fun. I'm not having fun. They're having experiences I'm not having. And we get worried about missing out. Jesus says, you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. He's there for us. That isn't just a magical word. You've got to really focus on it. You've really got to give your attention towards it. Some of us uh, need to memorize portions of Scripture like this so that when we're in that moment, we recall it because we're just not feeling it. It doesn't just happen like that. But this idea of realizing we don't see what God sees, we don't completely understand uh, what he's doing. Um, this week you can take a look at James 1, 2 through 4. Basically it says, uh, you know, looking at our hard times and we're applying this to injustice and when we're wrong and realizing that those things can help mature and complete our faith so we're wanting or lacking Nothing. You have to think about that a little bit. Lastly, remember God's ways are above our ways. Verses 16 through 17, Solomon communicates this when he says, When I applied my mind to wisdom, if you remember from previous sermons, he applied his mind to wisdom. Smartest guy, knew it all, had all kinds of projects going on, and observed the labor that is done on the earth. People getting no sleep day or night, working themselves to the bone. When I saw all that God had done, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even the wisest claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. And that's just not to play games in your mind to say, oh, just trust God and don't, don't engage with something. Don't be a thinking person. That's not what Solomon's saying. Solomon says, I am a thinking person. I think being a thinking person is a good idea, but being a thinking person has its limits. You'll never get it all figured out because God is God and you, myself, are not. And even when we start that chapter of eternity in God's presence, in heaven, in a new heavens and a new earth, when that day comes, I still think we won't have it all figured out. Because we don't become God. We won't, we won't be who he is. So there'll still be a lot of mystery. But don't, don't go crazy trying to figure everything Thing out. Doesn't mean you don't think about it. Doesn't mean you don't digest. Doesn't mean you don't reflect. Some of us probably need to do a little bit more of that. But that 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 thinking, that goal, there's there's limits to it. Isaiah, I love the way the voice translates this. 
my intentions, this is God speaking, are not always yours. And I do not go about things as you do. We could tell stories about that actually happening in our lives. My thoughts and my ways are above and beyond you, just as heaven is far from your reach here on earth. Paul says it this way. We cannot wrap our minds around God's wisdom and knowledge. Its depths can never be measured. We can never understand his judgments or explain the mysteries, ways that he works. Again, it doesn't mean you stop thinking. It doesn't mean it's just like everything's happy, happy, happy. It means that there are limits to our minds and our being able to get our mind. We are finite. God is infinite. And that very famous passage most of us know by heart from Proverbs from Solomon reminds us that in those situations we ought to trust God from the bottom of our heart and don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen to God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Do not assume you know it all. Rather, run to God and run from evil. You see, when it comes to our hallelujahs, when it comes to it's good to be alive, we need to realize that The fear of God controls the uncontrollable. And that's inside. When you have that relationship, that fear we describe, when you have that submission, when you have that awe, when you have that worship, when you have that trust, when you have that reverence, that all ties into the idea of fear of God, you'll find that it controls the uncontrollable controllable it controls your digestion and wrestling with injustice with being wronged it 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 controls that so the fear of god when you have the expanded understanding of it when you go from knowing something in black and white tv to high definition that's the difference here And then all of a sudden we find that the fear of God controls the uncontrollable. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Solomon asks the tough questions. And we're thankful that he doesn't give easy answers all wrapped up in a nice little package. There's wrestling with these answers. And I would ask that you would help us wherever we're at in our lives, whether we're an all-in Christ follower, whether we're unconvinced, somewhere in between, that you would help us to come to you with our questions, that we would start to get a glimpse of what it means from going from fear of God, being scared of you, to that love of God that I describe with the transformation with my relationship with my dad. Help that to be the case with us in you. And as we grow in that, as we move in that, may we find that a fear of you helps control the uncontrollable beginning within the restlessness and confusion of our hearts. 
If there's anyone here this morning that's never said yes to you, we ask that even in this moment, as they're aware of your presence, they would silently in the depths of their heart reach out to you and say, God, I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I need you in your, my life. Come into my life, and I will try to follow you the best I know how. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.